Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Sindra Kampoff, and thank you so much for joining me here today for episode 573. I'm joining you from the Association for Applied Sports Psychology Conference in Orlando, Florida, where I've been attending the sessions for the last couple of days, learning from my colleagues. And I just want to say thank you to all those who came up to me, uh, who listened to the podcast, and share how much they enjoy the episode. So thanks so much. Much. I, I loved attending the sessions. I attended several, and uh, my favorites were about the yips, which we'll talk about in future episodes on the podcast. I also attended a session on self compassion that I loved and entrepreneurship. So I just want to give a shout out to those presenters who shared information and expertise with us to just keep on helping us grow as practitioners. In this episode, I interviewed Dr. Peter Olushaga who is a senior lecturer in psychology at Sheffield Hallman University in the United Kingdom. His PhD thesis completed in 2012, focused on stress and coping in elite sporting environments, and his current research focuses on coach burnout and well-being in high-performance environments. He's a chartered psychologist, an experienced consultant, and the host of the award-winning sport and performance psychology podcast called 80% Mental. And in this episode, we talk about how we can all experience burnout and what leads to burnout. We talk about stress and high performance environments and how to reduce it, the role of recovery in burnout, how self-awareness is a performance skill, and research-backed ways to reduce burnout. We talk about, at the end, advice for high performers on how you can reduce and prevent burnout. To find the full show notes for this episode, you can head over to syndracampoff.com slash 573 for episode 573. And I hope you enjoy this episode today with Dr. Peter. I learned about different ways I can prevent burnout, and I hope you learn a lot too. Without further ado, let's bring on Dr. Peter. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. I'm excited to have Peter Olushaga here today on the podcast. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm grateful that you're here. No, thank you for the invitation. And can I just say perfect pronunciation of the name just then? So well done. <laughs> you know, I had to write it out phonetically to make sure <laughs> I was saying it right. But I'm really looking forward to talking to you. It was really fun before our, our podcast interview to dive into some of your research and um, what a you know breadth of research that you've published in the area. And so I'm just really excited to talk to you about it today, Peter. And maybe just to get us started, um, tell us what you do right now and what you're most passionate about. Okay. Um, well, my main job at the moment is a, a senior lecturer. So I teach at a university in the UK uh, and I teach psychology on undergraduate and postgraduate courses. Uh, I am a, a chartered psychologist as well with the British Psychological Society. So I do um, little bits of consultancy work, some psychoeducation with different uh, uh, organizations and uh, worked with a couple of athletes and teams and so, and so forth as well. Um, but yeah, so my main focus is, is teaching and uh, and obviously research as well. Uh, my area of research is in in well-being, uh, in particular well-being in high-performance environments, and in particular related to high-performance coaches. Um, I think often coaches kind of get neglected in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, focus mm-hmm. is is kind of traditionally very much on athletes. That's that's changed a lot in the in the last few years. Coaches are getting a lot more attention, but. Um, yeah, traditionally somewhat neglected. Uh, so that's kind of my 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 area of focus. 
Excellent. And as I think about, you know, your sort of origin story or what brought you into studying burnout and well-being in high-performance environments, but also just to be in the field of psychology and sports psychology, tell us what led you to do some of this work. Um, it was a total accident. <laughs> it was it was a total accident. I um I I was always interested in, in psychology, um, mm-hmm. and I went to university to do an undergraduate degree in psychology, and all the way through, found it really interesting, found it fascinating. Had no idea what I wanted to do with it. Uh, and on that undergraduate course, we we didn't we didn't look at sports psychology at all. There was a tiny little bit, if I remember right, uh, where we looked at kind of behavior change in in exercise sure but but sport wasn't a thing sport psychology wasn't wasn't a thing that we looked at on our course anyway so i didn't even know it existed um obviously i was i was kind of into sport i would i play basketball i coach basketball as well okay. um and it wasn't until four years after i finished my undergraduate degree i just happened to randomly bump into a friend of a friend who was studying sports psychology and i was like studying what like sports psychology and i was like well i mean that sounds perfect <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> sport yeah psychology yeah great um so i ended up going back to do a master's in sport and exercise science um with a psychology pathway uh, and then as it happened i came to the end of that uh, mm-hmm. master's degree there was a phd position came up which i applied for and got so um yeah it's kind of like a series of happy accidents uh, led me into the, the the field that i'm in now and the field that i love well, it sounds like you were following your passion to me and the things that <laughs> <laughs> were were interesting to you. So, you know, uh, maybe maybe it's all about the choices that you made. So um, yeah. pretty cool. Well, let's let's dive into really this area that you study. Mm-hmm. You know, and you mentioned um, well-being in high performance environments. You know, as I was reading more of your research about burnout and stress, what made you decide to study well-being um, in high performance environments? Well, a, a couple of reasons, really. I mean, first of all, you know, I mentioned before that I, I played a bit of basketball, but I coached as well. And my own experiences, you know, I never coached to any high level or anything like that but i coached the university teams and coached a little bit of national league in the in the uk and um you know that's a that's a stressful experience that's a stressful job um, yeah and any any kind of player coaches out there don't <laughs> don't do that that's ridiculously stressful um <laughs> so my, my, my own kind of experience in in coaching uh led me to sort of have an interest in, in okay, well, how do, how do coaches at the high level kind of really manage this stuff? Because obviously the stresses at that level are, you know, that much more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other thing, again, as I mentioned in the intro, it's it, at the time anyway, uh, it was a, an under-researched area. Yeah, you know, Coaches are carers, but who's taking care of the carers? And yeah. there was a little bit of research, you know, people like uh, Dan Gould, uh, Kristen Diefenbach yeah. had published a little bit of research around coaching psychology and, and, and coaching stress. Um, but again, the focus was mostly on on athletes. Mm. How do we manage athlete stress so that they can perform under pressure? Um, and the coaches were kind of a little bit ignored. So that that combination of my own personal experience and, okay, well, this is actually an area that's that's kind of ripe for being looked at. Um, led mm-hmm. me to study that mm-hmm. for my my PhD. So um, 
my PhD, I received it um, at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, where Dan Gould was one of the faculty. Right. And guess who was one of a fellow student? Uh, Kristen Diefenbach. So oh, really? I saw that you did some research around or with her. And I'm like, well, isn't that cool? It's such a small <laughs> world. Uh, <laughs> and I was I was reading your study on stress in the Journal of Applied Sports Psychology. Mm-hmm. And maybe just tell us a little bit about what you found in that study that leads to um, elite coach stress. And I was also thinking about as you're describing it, as I think about how uh, you know, many people who are listening work in high performance environments, and I could imagine that they could apply it to their day to day. But to get us started, what did you find in that study about stress and what leads to elite coach stress? So that was my first first research study. That was my first publication. And um, we interviewed a bunch of high performance coaches about their experiences of, of stress and what cause them stress but also how they respond to it and, and how they mm-hmm. cope with it but in terms of what we found in um uh that stress coaches out what are these stresses that they experience like one of the things that we found was that the stress comes from all sorts of different places so you might imagine high performance coaching is a stressful environment um and yes there was some stress that came from those places as well but actually there was a lot of stress from the organization so mm-hmm. Just sure. day-to-day conflicts with managers, with other coaches, uh, with performance directors. Um, there was uh, stress to do with the competition itself, so the competition environment. Again, you'd imagine that these things are pretty stressful. Um, there's also stress from the interpersonal relationships with athletes. So athletes not showing up on time or you know not putting in the effort or kind of all of those kind of day-to-day athlete type stresses, but also uh, stress from more personal sources. So coaches experience a lot of isolation, uh, a lot of interference with their home life as well mm-hmm. because of the nature of the job. So mm-hmm. that in itself was also a source mm-hmm. of stress that sort of fed back into um, their, their, their coaching role. So mm-hmm. the, the kind of major takeaway was that these stresses come from all over the place and they're often overlapping and often uh, interrelated. Now, uh, in terms of how we can kind of use that stuff for our mm-hmm. um, own everyday experiences, uh, w- one of the things that, that that I always talk about is we should consider what stress actually is. You know, I've just listed off a whole load of stresses there, but if we think about what stress is, stress is an imbalance between those stresses or the demands that we face on a day-to-day basis and how well we think we can cope with those demands. So mm-hmm. stress is just the, the, the process. And I, I often liken it to um, uh, like a seesaw, where you've got the demands on one sure. side of the seesaw and the uh, mm-hmm. your, your coping resources, your ability to cope on the other side of the seesaw. And when that seesaw tips, that's when we experience strain. So the kind of mm-hmm. emotional responses, maybe physical responses to, to stress. Uh, our behaviors might change as well and i think from a um kind of from the layperson's point of view just understanding that process understanding that that the stress is that imbalance means that you know we, we 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 know that it's not just big things that might cause us stress mm-hmm. it's not just big things that can tip that seesaw it's lots of little things or even one little thing or the seesaw can tip when some of our coping resources are taken away. So maybe when we're tired or maybe when we're ill, 
um, when we haven't had much rest. So just understanding that stress process, I think, is is something that's really important um, because it means that we can then take steps to either take away some of those demands or increase our coping resources. And what I appreciate is that's my was my next question is like, how do you define stress? And you already went there. Yeah. Uh, and I what I appreciated that you said, Peter, was that it's how well we think we can cope with the demand. So it's like our perception of how well we can cope with them. And it's really about what we're thinking about, what we're focusing on. Mm-hmm. So we can either um, increase our coping skills or what are the other cho- you know choices that you think we have when we're experiencing this imbalance? Well, it, it's really easy to say that we can reduce the stresses. You know, that's the obvious thing to take away some of the stresses sure. that are on that side of the seesaw that are, that are causing it to tip. But again, if we think about what some of those stresses are, there's all sorts of things that are organizational and big structural things that, that might cause us stress. And anybody that works in any kind we of organization. We can't control many of those. <laughs> exactly. Knows that lots of those things yeah. are out of our control. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, you know, when we when we think about coping, um, mm. and we look at the literature again, there's there's problem solving. Uh, sorry, uh, problem focused coping, where we try and deal yeah. with the actual problem itself. So you know, if there's conflict with with another coach or with another person, we try and address that conflict. Uh, or if there is again, you know, the example I gave before of athletes not performing or not turning up, but you know, we can address the specific problem. Uh, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, the other thing that we can do is focus on our own responses and kind of mm-hmm. managing our own responses to those stresses. Um, and often those responses are the things that are a little bit more controllable than the stresses themselves. Uh, so I think trying to deal with some of our own responses to stress, uh, is, is one thing that can certainly help as well as, like you said, increasing some of those coping skills, you know, our support networks, um, our kind of relaxation, meditation skills, all of those kind of type things, um, the psychological skills that we can use to help us manage some of that stress. So the way you define stress is the the imbalance between the stressor and how well we think we can cope with the demands. And with that definition, is there is there a positive stress in your opinion? Absolutely. Yeah. It's really important to remember when we're talking about this, that the stress isn't always a bad thing. And anybody who's had um, an assignment due in the next day, or anybody who's had a deadline that's, you know, that's due a close deadline will understand that stress can be a really powerful motivating force. Yes. Uh, It can increase our productivity, uh, concentration, um, and the, you know, the coaches in the study that you mentioned before, that they also did talk about the, the kind of positive experiences of stress as well. So it wasn't all kind of this doom and gloom. This is an awful thing. It can be a really powerful motivator. So we shouldn't forget that. Yeah. And that, I, I feel like that in my life as well. I do a lot of keynote speaking and there's are times where it's a really big keynote, you know, and I think the, just the magnitude of it or the number of people are going to be there or, um, you know, all the things that can make you, it can feel a little bit stressed and yeah, I can feel stressed, but it also helps me rise to the occasion. And those are the times where I like really knock it out of the park, you know, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So if you were dealing with somebody and let's say you're working with someone one-on-one who might be a coach or somebody else who works in a really 
high performance environment, what would you say are, you know, the top couple of tools that we should use to reduce stress? Well, the, the, the first thing that I would say, and the, the reason that people don't necessarily go there is because they don't really think of it as a skill. Yeah. Is, is mm. self-awareness. Mm. And self-awareness as a performance skill is one of the most valuable, and it is a skill as well because we can get better at it and we can practice it. But mm-hmm. self-awareness as a performance skill is one of the most valuable tools that anybody can have when trying to to manage stress. So, you know, understand what are your stressors because they're different for everybody and everybody responds totally differently. But what are the things that actually, you know, what are the demands that you're facing? What are the stresses in your life? How do you normally respond to some of those things? You know, what are your behaviors that you exhibit when you experience stress physiologically you know (laughs) what happens to you when you're experiencing stress is it that (laughs) little bit of an increased heart rate those kind of typical almost somatic anxiety type symptoms um and what are the behaviors that you exhibit you know do you pace up and down the sidelines you know as a coach do you you know keep looking at your watch and you know, bite your fingernails. Like, what are the behaviors that you exhibit? So, understanding and really being self-aware about those things is a, a vital tool in the management of stress, because what that does is it allows us to notice when it's changing. Mm. It allows us to notice that okay, my responses to what I would normally find mildly irritating, mm-hmm. I'm now kind of like really thrown by it. Or, you know, my responses are completely out of whack with the stresses that are, you know, I would normally experience. So that that self-awareness, honestly, is 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 the top performance skill for me anyway, um, in terms of, of of managing stress. And then obviously there's expanding our, our, our range of coping resources as well. Um, so like I mentioned before, that uh, developing your support networks, finding people either within or, or or outside of your environment who you can perhaps open up to a little bit um and and developing some of those those relaxation skills breathing skills all of those types of things are really useful in managing stress as well yeah that's um that's perfect i was uh, after this i get to go watch my son play football and he's a ninth grader and mm-hmm. um so he plays quarterback and for some reason peter when i watch him play football I feel a lot of stress. <laughs> I don't know if it's because, you know, he plays basketball, my other son, like they track, they track him field. And, but it's something about maybe the violence of the game that I really have a hard time. Just, um, I, I pace, I stand up. I sometimes feel like I'm going to puke and I'm like the mom, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I was just thinking about um, when you're talking about self-awareness as a performance skill and just like continuing to be aware of my own reaction to that. Um, But I like what you said about using these coping skills. Is there, is there one or two coping skills that you feel like um, seems to really be the most beneficial or that you'd like to share with us? Um, I, I, I don't want to be that guy that says mindfulness as a cure for everything okay (laughs) because you know it's one of those things that's gained in popularity everybody's talking about it but you know honestly in terms of just that that 
practice of noticing and noticing when your responses are different, noticing those uh, physical sensations, the perhaps thoughts that you're having that are associated with stress, you know, allows you to just take that sort of step back and create that gap almost between the stimulus, the demand and your response to it. So uh, just practicing mindfulness in this, in this way is uh, a, a hugely important skill, I think, um, in, in, in the reduction of stress. Yeah. And for those people who are listening, mindfulness isn't the same as meditation, right? Mm. Where you're, you're, you're kind of this meditation would be more like the sit down practice of, um, you know, training present moment focus. But I, mindfulness is exactly what you just said is just the act of noticing, mm-hmm. noticing how you're feeling, noticing what's going on, noticing the environment. Um, I like the definition by John Kabat-Zinn. And I think it's, it goes something like um, is practicing it, being in the present as if like your life de- depended on it, you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. um, I think that's really powerful. So tell us a bit about Peter, about the role of pressure and how you think pressure can impact stress and burnout. Well, I, I think uh, again, you know, when we're talking about high performance, it's, it's important to remember that pressure again, isn't necessarily a bad thing. And we need a little bit of pressure in our lives and um, pressure can um, spur us on to do really good things. It can, it can be motivating and uh, can, can, can help us uh, do some really good work. So I think, the, you know, again, as with, as with stress, it's not necessarily always a bad thing. Yeah. However, um, when we're talking about burnout, uh, burnout is essentially a response to chronic ongoing stress, stress that isn't managed very well. So when we're experiencing pressure that is relentless, when there's no uh, space for recovery, and when that pressure starts to cause us to experience stress, um, again, we don't get the chance to recover from that. Mm-hmm. That's when that can lead to burnout. And burnout can have some fairly severe consequences. I appreciate that you just said that chronic stress that isn't managed well. I think that's really eye-opening for some people who might feel like they're burned out or they're burning out you know whatever that mm. however you might say that um as you are doing your research about burnout tell us what you're finding about what people can do to reduce the chances of that well i i think let's probably start with what burnout is because mm-hmm. it's like i said it's a response to chronic stress but it isn't stress it's, it's slightly different so burnout, and you know, I don't know if your listeners will be able to identify with this, but burnout is a a syndrome of three different characteristics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an ongoing experience of these characteristics. So everybody is probably, you know, at some point felt a little bit exhausted, like emotionally and, and physically exhausted. Everybody's experienced that. Everybody has also probably felt like there are times when they're just not really achieving anything, even though they're still putting in the same amount of effort. It's almost like you're on a hamster wheel and you're just going round and round and round. You're not really getting anywhere. And again, everyone's probably experienced that at some point. The third thing is it's called depersonalization. 
And this mm-hmm. is where you develop a, a cynicism, like a cynical attitude towards work or towards the relationships that you have with people at work. And again, at times, everybody's probably experienced that sort of cynical attitude towards the work that they're doing. Now, burnout is when you experience all three of those things at the same time for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And that happens, like I said, as, as a response to to chronic stress. So when people, let's say, just use the let use the word burnout in their language, it mm. might not necessarily be what you're describing. Maybe they're just tired or they need uh, a, an evening of rest or a day off. But mm. this is more a syndrome ongoing. And what have you found is the, and I've done quite a bit of reading about burnout, but I'm curious mm. in your own perspective, it's, it's what are you seeing is like the, is it three months? Is it one month? Is it six months? Like what's the ongoing nature where people experience you know these three components of burnout yeah i mean there's no there's no sort of definitive length of time (laughs) i don't think um but it seems from the literature and it seems from the research that we're doing uh with with coaches that this is more than something that you'd experience for a week or two yeah this is something that is like a couple of months at least you know like you say six months and we're really starting to to kind of feel that 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 burnout um because again it's that ongoing stress mm-hmm. that causes it so this mm-hmm. is something that's going to take more than just a few weeks to to, to develop mm-hmm. to, uh, to develop but like i say everybody experiences these things from time to time and they come in sort of peaks and troughs um but it's when it's really ongoing that's when we start you know you might start to experience some some difficulties I'm thinking about your review on coach burnout that you published Mm. a few years ago where you talk about burnout and I'm curious about what did you learn about burnout from these high level coaches? Um, A couple of things. uh, And I think perhaps one of the, one of the most important things to, to think about here is that when we, when we talk about burnout and when we talk about stress, these are these are organizational issues rather than individual issues. It's very, very easy to look at somebody who's experiencing stress and think, okay, and, and, you know, we talked about it right at the start. Okay, what are the things that you can do to manage stress? What are the things that you can do to perhaps recover from burnout? Where really what we what we're seeing is that stress and, and burnout are perfectly normal responses to situations that are abnormal in the amount of stress that's being placed on an individual. So mm-hmm. these are, are workload issues essentially. Um so what one of the things that we learned from from the coaches in in the studies that you're referring to are that, you know, there are organizational issues that are at the heart of their their burnout experiences um so you know we're talking about things like um the 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 culture of the sport and the organizations that they're in are a real driving force behind the burnout their experience and when i talk about culture i mean things like you know if you think about high performance sport that's driven by things like um this hyper masculine almost environment where right things like toughness and things like grit 
and you know all of those kind of all those kind of words that we love in sports psychology um are that you know they're great but they're also prevent people from help seeking and they create this sort of like tough masculine culture where help seeking behavior you know it's it and vulnerability aren't really things that people want to want to display because it's a competitive environment right you know um so it's it's that kind of organizational culture and it just builds and builds Mm. and builds and i think like i say vulnerability and and self-compassion they're things that that aren't really thought of so self-care just kind of takes a back seat Um, yeah so it's you know what we learn from these coaches is that, that really it's those factors you know and a couple of them talked about things like um you know it it didn't matter how how good the results are in their in their organization like nothing was ever good enough mm-hmm. you know um constantly mm-hmm. needing to produce more and to do more and you know that sort of culture is a real driver of burnout so rather than thinking of it as like what can the individual do no what can the organization do yeah that's a really good point because i think most of my questions so far have been about you know how can we cope and mm. i i don't think this is unique to sport i was just um working this morning with an executive who doesn't engage really in much self-care at all you know <laughs> admit it admits that you know that he's just constantly working and doesn't have really any downtime and you know it's just these cultures they can be really competitive this is a sales culture that he works mm. in right so mm. i think kind of very similar to sport where maybe it's hyper masculine and you know it's a weakness to ask for help or say hey um i'm going to turn off my computer tonight and and not do any work right yeah. um but i i appreciate what you're saying about that it's a the, you know when you think about burnout we should consider the organization as well as the individual coping skills. Mm. I think the key point mm. that you mentioned there was when you said as well, because mm. what we think about controllable versus uncontrollable, like the individual has limited control over this organizational mm. culture that's kind of, mm. you know, battering them essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, the organization has a responsibility to look after its employees and to create a culture where well-being is perhaps as important as performance Um, because those two things are kind of inextricably linked right Um, so yes it's it's important for the organization to do that but that doesn't mean that people can't also practice a bit of self-care they can't look after themselves a little bit better the two things go hand in hand so yeah Mm. uh, organization and individual Hi, this is Sindra Kampoff, and thanks for listening to the High Performance Mindset. Did you know that the ideas we share in the show are things we actually specialize in implementing? If you want to become mentally stronger, lead your team more effectively, and get to your goals quicker, visit freementalbreakthroughcall.com to sign up for your free mental breakthrough call with one of our certified coaches. Again, that's freementalbreakthroughcall.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. Yeah, really helpful. So let's say there's somebody who's listening or a few several people are listening that are that are thinking, gosh, you know, I'm on I'm feeling burnt out right now. These three components, the syndrome ongoing. What advice would you give to somebody who's feeling that 
right now? Um, it would be it would be lovely if we could take a two week holiday in the Bahamas every time. <laughs> with, it it would be wonderful to be able to do that, but it's all, it's also not particularly realistic. Okay. Um, okay. But re recovery recovery is important. Yeah, uh, yeah, when we, yeah. When, when we think about workload, you know, I said before it's a workload problem. That that's not strictly accurate. It's a problem with workload without recovery. So when we don't give ourselves the time or the space, or when we are not given the time and the space to recover from an excessive workload, that's when the problems start to occur. So, um, back in back in the seventies, uh, Maslach and Leiter, Christina Maslach, um, is a kind of you know, really sort of famous burnout researcher. They talked about this idea oh, of yes. our work life having six different areas. Okay, mm -hmm. so workload, control, mm -hmm. uh, community, uh, values, fairness, and rewards. I can never okay. remember them. I think that's right. Um, we got six. I, we got six. <laughs> you that, said six. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that's them. Um, and the, the idea is that, you know, we, we can't control all six of those things as individuals, right? Um, but if I can't control my workload or my ability to recover from an excessive workload, then maybe there are other areas that I can take a little bit of control in. So maybe I can sure. do something about, um, I don't know, the community hmm. that I'm working with. Maybe I can create something of a sense of community. Maybe there's nothing that I can do in terms of, you know, rewards mm -hmm. and recognition at work, but maybe there is something I can do to take back a little bit of control. So whilst we can't control all of these six different areas, there are little bits and pieces that as individuals, maybe we, we can do a little bit of work on. Um, but, you know, really in terms of, of, of kind of dealing with burnout and, and, and this, this idea of recovery, we can't, like I said, we can't take a two-week holiday. We can't control the workload that's being given to us. But we can think about, okay, well, where can I take a little bit of recovery? Where can I take a little bit of control back over my day-to-day? -day? So, you know, I talk about something called micro-breaks. Yeah. Um. Maybe, maybe I can't take a day off, but maybe I can go and just stick my head out of a window for 30 seconds and breathe in some fresh air. Yeah. You know, maybe I can't do that because I'm in an office that doesn't have windows. It's just got aircon. Okay. So maybe what I can do is I can just stretch for 10 seconds. Yeah. Every hour, you know, and it's, it's those tiny little sort of mindful breaks that we can start to build in that allow us to develop some of that recovery time. Yeah. You know, in, in lieu of the two week holiday in the Bahamas, um, but I think you'd be surprised when you start adding up those little micro breaks uh, mm. as to how how much of an impact that can actually have. Yeah, I appreciate the concept of micro breaks, right, or stretching, or just these mindful moments where you just notice how you're feeling. Mm. And I think people are sometimes just back to back to back with commitments. And, you know, we know the importance of recovery for high performance athletes. If they're not sleeping, if they're not resting, mm. if they're not eating good and taking care of their bodies, you know, they can't perform at the highest level, just like you and me. Mm -hmm. a absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's the perfect mm -hmm. analogy. You wouldn't expect an athlete to be training for 22 hours a day. 
yeah right. in the world of business and and, and even coaching yeah. you know we're expected yeah. to be on 24 7 and always working and always producing and you know it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not realistic and it's certainly not healthy mm-hmm. what are you so besides the micro breaks which i think is super helpful what else are you seeing in terms of like just active recovery right when i think about my day and what i do i might um, relax, listen to music, watch a show, you know, <laughs> I like to go for a run in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think of the things I love to do that I think helps me the next day feel like I have the energy to take on my day. Yeah. It's, it, it's that downtime. Uh, like you say, exercise comes up a lot, uh, as a, as a strategy that, that coaches in our, in our studies have used for, for sort of that stress reduction. Um, spending time with friends and family um and 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 kind of really being present when you're doing that as well i think that's one yeah. thing that a lot of people and I, you know i'm guilty of this as well you know I'll, I'll come home from work and i'll be sitting and having dinner and my phone's on the table or i'm thinking about the meeting that i've got to go to tomorrow you know and we're not really truly present so you know taking those breaks is is, is great and spending time with family is great and exercising is great but if you're going out for a run and the entire time you're doing that, your mind is in, you know, the conference call that you've got coming up in in two hours. You're not getting the benefits of um, of the exercise. Well, I mean, you're obviously getting some benefits of it, but you're not maximizing the benefits that you could be getting. So, really, practicing being present mm-hmm. um, is is huge because then that allows us to get those breaks that recovery time during ordinary mundane activities that we would be doing mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. There was a study published last year, I think in 2022, and you probably heard of the study that suggested uh, 42% of the time we're not focused on what we're doing, mm. you know, and, and uh, the study was also about like how, uh, and, uh, unpresent mind is a worried mind. So the more likely that you are to not be present, the more likely you are to feel a lot of anxiety and worry. And it just makes me think about how there's so many demands on our attention Mm -hmm. now compared to 15 years ago, that it's difficult to say, do what you're saying, practice being present. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, 20 years ago, would we even say that? (laughs) Because I think we did that better naturally (laughs) as humans <laughs> yeah but you know I, th- I think for for anyone listening there's, there's lots of ways and again it's a skill mm-hmm. right so you, you can mm-hmm. practice just getting better at being present there's loads of different ways you can do that and you know I, I examples so everybody brushes their teeth well I would hope that everybody brushes their teeth yeah hopefully so, to, so take take a simple activity like that okay two minutes for two minutes can I just focus completely on what I'm doing can Mm -hmm. I notice the weight of the toothbrush in my hand the sound Mm -hmm. of the water coming out of the tap like what do the bristles feel like what does the toothpaste taste like what does it sound like when I'm brushing my teeth and anytime that you notice your mind wandering away from that acknowledge where your mind went and then without Mm -hmm. kind of you know beating yourself up about it just bring it back to brushing your teeth what am I noticing and you know this is this is mindfulness 
Yeah. This is just this is just being mindful. Can I do it when I'm just washing the dishes or having a shower or you know walking down the stairs? And and if we can practice doing it in those just mm-hmm. really mundane activities, you know, mm-hmm. we don't we don't have to sit under a tree and meditate for half an hour at sunset every night. We don't we don't have to do that. Can yeah. I take those really mundane activities and just practice the skill of being present? Because if I can do it then, then what I'm really doing is I'm just practicing noticing when I've been distracted. Yeah. So then I get better at noticing when I'm being distracted when I'm playing with my kids. Mm. And I get better at noticing the distraction mm. when I'm supposed to be sitting down and having dinner with my family. Mm. And the more I can practice noticing the distractions, the more I can bring my attention and focus back to the present and, and what I'm really trying to, to to engage in. And, you know, being able to engage in those things, those things that you really value, is a really, really nice way of protecting yourself against burnout. Yeah, excellent. It makes me think of the practice of mindful eating and how many times when we just eat, we just put it into our mouth without really yeah, even yeah. tasting it. And um, you've probably seen those activities where you might eat a chocolate really mindfully. And I did it with a group of, I don't know, 150 teachers about a month ago. And it, the exercise took like two minutes, but they, they, they found that so difficult. You know, mm. <laughs> like, you know, one person was like, I'll never eat a piece of chocolate the same way again, <laughs> you know, cause it was just um, oh, yeah. so unique. Cause we just usually pop that into our mind, our mouth and just exactly. chew it and be done in 10 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I think it's, <laughs> you know, understanding that it is difficult because we don't do it. We don't practice yeah. being present. So when you yeah. are practicing these things and when you are trying to develop that skill, you know, just be compassionate towards yourself. Like mm. y- y- this is difficult. It's really, really difficult to sit and focus on an activity for any length of time. You're going to get distracted. It's just what your mind does. It's what your mind naturally does. So just notice that distraction. And the more you notice them the better you get at noticing them one study i want to talk a little bit about that you conducted was about uh, female coaches and my dissertation Mm. was actually on why women leave college coaching um mostly because my own experience where my college coach left and it was a really tough experience for me just like not having that social support um Mm. And I do think I it led to some burnout for me, uh, but I'm curious about what did you find in terms of the unique challenges for women in these kind of high performance environments that we're talking about? Sure. Well, I I guess a little bit of backdrop to the study, um, which I, I, again I guess that being your uh, area for your dissertation, you probably know about already. But you know, sure. co- coaching coaching is still obviously a very male dominated environment, and high performance sport is a very male dominant environment. Uh, I think the the figures that we quoted in the study were somewhere between like ten and twenty percent of leadership positions in uh, a few of the countries that that we studied. So I think uh, Canada, Norway, and Sweden um, were were women. So women are hugely underrepresented uh, in in yeah. sport and in sport coaching in particular. Um, so there's lots of challenges. Uh, some of those challenges are, are kind of universal to high performance coaching, um, but the the study that we conducted. Uh, found that uh, there was there's two main themes really uh, related to to these challenges. One was the sort of stereotypical male culture of high performance sport uh, as a stressor, and then the second one was around work life balance. Sure. So, uh, in terms of the sort of male culture, you know, we, we referred to it a little bit earlier. This hyper masculine environment of toughness and grit and 
and you know no help seeking and, and and no vulnerability and and that is an issue for male coaches as well um but the the women coaches in our study highlighted things like the kind of inappropriate comments and sexist behavior and sexist comments in that male dominated culture which sort of led to a uh, an environment that wasn't particularly comfortable yeah a sort of really absolutely. discomfort around some of that stuff um as part of that culture they talked about the fact that men would often choose other men uh, mm. and there's kind of the, the you know the old boys club type sure. uh, um type scenario so um that sort of led to a bit of a lack of confidence for women coaches that they uh were on an equal footing uh and then there's also the lack of confidence around women coaching male athletes because of the perception and because of those stereotypical views of of well what women coaches are available you know the the whole sort of well what can you tell me about my sport you're a woman type attitude so there there were some kind of um things about the environment that particularly impacted upon women high performance coaches um the other theme was around sort of work life balance which mm-hmm. again is you know has, has an impact on male coaches as well but in particular in this study the, the women coaches talked about um conflict with family but kind of conflict starting a family as well which was that additional uh stressor that that obviously doesn't have an impact on on male coaches so yeah uh the the sort of hyper masculine environment and the work-life balance were two of the major major themes i think that's consistent what i've seen in high performance business environments and i'm mm. just curious from the research what maybe recommendations you'd have for women who are listening or maybe men who want to support women in these high performance environments yeah i mean in terms of the environment itself and and again this is an issue that as you pointed out is broader than just coaching it's broader than just business this is a sort of huge societal issue that we're experiencing (laughs) at the moment and it's about speaking up and challenging that that sexist and misogynistic behavior and as a male coach in that environment like you, you know you're the one with the power yeah to to step up and challenge um you know you're the one that can really sort of shape that environment and change that culture to how you want it to be so it's it's not incumbent upon the women in that environment to change that environment because they haven't created that environment sure it's the male coaches who've created that environment so it's up to it's up to them i would say to 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 challenge those behaviors and call them out and um you know, really push for something a little bit better. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because again, you know, when we talk about things like, uh, 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 you know, I, I don't know what your listeners will think about the phrase, but the phrase toxic masculinity, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think mm-hmm. this has an impact on everybody. So it's not about male coaches calling this stuff out for the benefit of their, their, their female counterparts. It's about the betterment of, you know, society in general has an impact on everybody. So if we can call out those types of behaviors, then our coaching environment or a business environment or or wherever it is that we're going to be is just going to be so much better for for everybody. Well, your answer is also very much organizational structure, right? Which I Mm. appreciate when we were talking about stress and how stress isn't just about you coping. It's also about the environment you're working in and are there changes to culture um, or vulnerability in the culture that you can impact? So I appreciate that answer because we could just focus on here's what women could do to cope mm. with the environment, but it's also like, hey, um, 
who can advocate for the women and what changes can be made in the organization. So I appreciate your answer there. Um, Peter, you got an awesome podcast. So before we wrap up, <laughs> tell us where we can um, go check out the podcast and, you know, a little bit about why we should check it out. So the podcast uh, is called 80% Mental. Uh, and you can check that out at 80percentmental.com, which is all words. And it's it's really, it's a uh, a podcast about the mental aspects of sport and performance. And we kind of wanted to start off by just exploring different topics. And we've had, a, a, you know, some amazing guests on the, on the podcast and the series that's going on at the minute, we're sort of kind of branching out. So we're looking at high performance, but we're looking at it with, uh, coaches, athletes, but also dancers and, uh, actors, uh, singers. Um, we had, um, uh, like boxers as well. So, you know, we've got a whole range of different performers from different environments. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a really interesting series and I, I would, I would, I would love it if you went to listen to that podcast as well, 80percentmental.com. Uh, or you can just search for 80% mental wherever you, uh, you listen to your own podcast. Awesome. If you're on Apple podcasts or whatever, I saw yeah. that you were doing that series and I thought that was really cool that it was like s specific to the domain. Right. And um, so yeah. yeah, definitely check it out. 80% mental. Well, Peter, uh, what great value you gave to us today. So I just want to acknowledge you and thank you so much for being here. Thanks for all the research you've done to help us understand stress and burnout. And I'm going to do my best to summarize here today. <laughs> so um, you define stress as the imbalance between a stressor and how we think about how we can cope with those demands, right? So it's really about our perception. We did talk about how stress can be a good thing as well. I appreciated when you talked about top tools and your like awareness as a performance skill is the top one and just noticing what's happening with you, um, being mindful and practicing, noticing what you're doing. We also talked about burnout as this chronic stress or chronic syndrome when it's not, when stress isn't managed well, right? And you shared with us three components of burnout. We are talking a lot about the organizational structure and individual, you know, coping skills. And I appreciated what you said about recovery and these six ways that we can impact burnout workload, control, community, values, fairness, and reward. I think I got them all. Um, yep. <laughs> and then just the importance of just being mindful in these mundane tasks so that we can continue to train our present moment focus. So thanks so much for being on here. We're grateful that you're here. Do you have any final thoughts or advice for people who are listening? Advice for people who are listening. Um, mm -hmm. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, in terms of, you know, because it's about high performers, right? my performance yeah. um yeah. I, I think it's a really interesting question i think we, we're in the middle of a culture that almost dresses up unrealistic and unhealthy practices as high performance uh -huh. i think we're kind of in the middle of a little bit of an epidemic of that hmm. and like if, if i can take the hmm. time to give you a little example here yeah of course um, I mean, there's so much stuff on the internet and there's so much stuff floating around. And one of the examples that I saw the other day was this video of the late, great Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. And he's held up as this kind of motivational, you know, Marvel, right? The Mamba mentality and all that. But the video right. was talking about him saying that, you know, if you want to, to, to be better than everybody else, you have to do more. So most people would get up, 
the train 10 till 12 take a break you know have a rest go get some food train maybe four till six uh and then you know have the rest of the evening go to bed but what he was saying was he was doing was well you know what if you got up and trained got up at three o'clock in the morning and trained from four till six and then had a break and then trained again from 10 till 12 and then had a break and then again from four till six and then again from you know nine till eleven and this is kind of this sort of motivational video right about <laughs> okay. kind of putting in the work and doing more and more and i'm like what's sure. you thinking yeah okay but that means you're getting like four hours sleep max right and you're talking about doing that for five years well that's that's really really unhealthy yeah uh, and, and can also, people do that right exactly it's, <laughs> it's really unhealthy it's, it's it's damaging you know in terms of, of health to, to to not get enough sleep but also, you know, you're a professional basketball player who's probably got a personal chef. You probably don't have to do your own laundry. You probably don't have to worry about, you know, taking the bins out or you know, right. all that sort of stuff. So so living that sort of lifestyle, we, we're kind of taking that sort of mentality a little bit out of context and trying to apply it to uh-huh. ordinary, regular folk. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. yes, hard work absolutely is something that's required if we mm-hmm. want to get ahead. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, we need to, to to work hard. But there's a line somewhere between working hard to achieve what you want to achieve and getting to the point where you're engaging in really unhealthy, counterproductive behaviors. And I think in high-performance yeah. culture, it's really easy mm. in a culture that celebrates overwork and celebrates kind of burnout to step over that line. So, you know, we live in a culture that tells you what success should be and what achievement is so if i was going to leave listeners with one bit of advice it would be first of all ignore all that stuff on the internet (laughs) but second of all think about what success really looks like for you not what you're told it should be think about what achievement looks like for you not what you're told it should be and it comes back to to values again doesn't it yeah it does we're really living a life that's moving us towards what we value and we often negotiate that sometimes, you know, because the world of work. But if you're kind of constantly doing that, then that's possibly the best way that you can manage your own stress, avoid that burnout, and, you know, live a life that's just sustainable in this world of high performance. Yeah, excellent. I'm so grateful that I asked you that question and you answered that way. It makes me think about um, when I talk about grit during my keynotes. Recently, I've, I've, I've said like grit is not grind. And I think this mm. word people think that grit is like pushing until you're ready to be, you know, you're ready to fall apart and kind of this overwork mentality of like just grind, 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 grind. But that's mm. not sustainable for high performance in the long run. And there are times maybe we have to grind it out, you know. Yeah, an hour or two, a day or two. But I think exactly what you're saying is like, if we grind for weeks and weeks and weeks straight, you know, what's the, what's the, the consequence. And I think it's, it's exactly what you've been talking about today is just um, overload and stress and burnout. Yeah. yeah. Love it. So thank you, Peter. Thank you so no, much. I'm grateful you. to have you on. It's really fun to learn more about your work. So thanks. Thanks so much. No, thank you. It's been, uh, it's been wonderful. Way to go for finishing another episode of the High Performance Mindset. I'm giving you a virtual fist pump. Holy cow, did that go by way too fast for anyone else? 
If you want more, remember to subscribe and you can head over to Dr. Sindra for show notes and to join my exclusive community for high performers where you get access to videos about mindset each week. So again, you can head over to Dr. Sindra. That's D-R-C-I-N-D-R-A dot com. See you next week.